All right, Matthew chapter 7, as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount. Christmas music was sung this morning. Thank you, Austin and the crew, for doing that. Uh, This is the first week of Advent. If you want to follow an Advent calendar, this would be the first Sunday of Advent. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that. But um, I do want to just make a connection. Like Christmas season, Sermon on the Mount, we don't normally make this connection, but, but I just want to... I want to make that for us this morning. Sermon on the Mount is like what it, looks, what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen, what it looks like to be this follower of Jesus. And part of Advent, like what we would observe now, is this idea of we're, we're longing for Christmas morning. We're longing, you know, you think of a child waiting to open those presents, like we it can't get here fast enough. My kids are already counting down. You can ask Liam how many days till Christmas, he'll probably tell you. But, but at some level, there's Advent where we say we're, we're longing for the second coming of Jesus. So we want, we want to take this season of his first coming and celebrating that to also be a reminder that he's coming again. And so as we think about the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen, like we should leave this series thinking, Jesus, we want you now. Like we want this kingdom sooner rather than later. And, and so while we don't read about Jesus' birth in Matthew 5 through 7, we do read about his kingdom, and his kingdom should make us long for more of him and, and long for his second coming and long for him to be with us now. I mean, he is with us now, but you know what I mean, like, and all his glory, ruling and reigning perfectly. Okay, so, so again, I'm not going to go down that road too far, but part of Advent, part of this season, is that we would look forward to, to the second coming of, of our Savior. Okay, when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, we think of, you know, just kind of big overview. We've, we've gone through 99% of it. Big overview, it's this backwards, upside-down way of thinking, this teaching that Jesus has for us. So you're going to be a follower of him. You go all the way back to the Beatitudes, how it starts. And it's this backwards, like, like those who are, are mourning will receive blessings and they'll be happy. And, and that doesn't seem normal. And that doesn't seem right. And those who are hungry, they're going to get good things. And that doesn't, okay, so backwards, upside down, right? But, but we could also say that Jesus presents to us a different or new type of worldview, a new way to view everything. And, and so I'm, we're going to come in a come back to this, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, I have a couple of quotes of, of people talking about worldviews. Okay, so the first one is from a book called Making Sense of Your World. It says this, the truth is that a worldview is like colored glasses. It colors everything at which we look. It is a grid through which one views all of life. As such, it helps form our thoughts, which one views all of life. As such, it helps, uh, it helps use our, our thoughts, our values, and decisions. The, the tragedy is that most people do not even know what their worldview is, how they got it, and how important it is to their lives. Okay, so, so how, we, everyone has one, right? That's what they're saying. Everyone has one. But here, in, in this book, they say the tragedy is what? Is that most people don't know where they got it. Right? They're going to they're gonna cling to some sort of how I interpret life, how I interpret the things in front of me, what's going on in the world around me, and they're not sure how, where they got the, those ideas to, to come from, like where they came from. Okay, uh, another one by Daniel Aiken. I've quoted him before in this series. He says, how we get our worldview comes back to the issue of, a, of the authority we follow. Although it is possible to expand this study with a more in-depth and sophisticated look at the issue, the sources of authority that mold and shape our decision-making and way of life can be boiled down to four. Okay, next slide. There's going to be four things that Daniel Aiken says, this is how we get our worldview. Okay, this Fair game in discussion group, if you think there's four. Fair game in discussion group, if you think there's three or two or zero. Like, I'm not worried about that. I just, again, presenting this picture of a worldview and how we would interpret the things that we see in front of us. So Daniel Aiken would give these four. Reason, which is I think. Experience, I feel. 
tradition. I have always done in Revelation God's word, uh, God says in his word. One or more of these authorities will govern how we live. Okay, so, so for us, like, like we've said this before throughout this series, and Jesus is going to make a big point about it here in this last section of his, of his sermon. But, but there's this decision that we're going to make. Like, are we going to live life according to God's will? Are we going to live life according to the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus' words are? Or are we going to live our lives according to something else? And so often as believers, like I'm not talking about worldly people who don't know Jesus and don't know the Word of God and actually probably don't care about the Word of God. Like I'm talking about people who show up on Sunday. Like how often do we uh, hear the Word of God and then we go back to what? We go back to something, well, I feel. I feel like this verse really means, or I think that this means, or tradition has told us, or, or we go to something else. It's like here's, here's the words of Jesus. Like we've seen them pretty plainly. Like a couple times in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe we had to dig a little bit deeper than normal. But, but in general... It wasn't hard when Jesus says don't, don't murder people and don't hate people. Right? It wasn't hard when he said don't commit adultery and don't lust. And yet there's this temptation as believers to say, well, I feel like 2,000 years ago he was talking about something else. Or I think, and, and we can even be really smart about it. Like we can look up a Greek word and be like, I think the Greek word. Man, it's like, but here's the thing. It's, it's written in plain English for us. Like we can understand Greek and do all those things. But even in light of the fact that we're believers who say we want to follow Jesus, I feel like we are so quick to jump onto some other type of worldview or other way of thinking and say, no, this is what, I, this is what I'm going to do or I'm going to reorient. I'm not going to reject God's word because I'm a believer. But at the same time, we don't really follow it. We, we excuse it away with some other thought, with how I feel, with how I think, some tradition. Okay. So with all that being said, let's, let's look at our text this morning. All right, so the text this morning is Matthew 7, verse 24. And he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Okay, so, so here we go, right? We, we get this picture, this analogy, this illustration that Jesus would give us. And, and in, this, in this illustration, he says what? He says there's people who, who hear his word, right? There's going to be two houses that are built. And, and in the analogy, though, they're, they're, they're really the same. Like a lot of it's the same. Because you'd say they heard the, the, the words of Jesus, they, like they heard him. It wasn't that one guy said, I'm going to build my house because of the words of some other guy. Like they heard the words of Jesus. They heard the same message, like this was a message, not just that Matthew copied down, but this was a message written to, or spoken to specific people at a specific place at a specific time. So, so here's somebody who'd, who'd be sitting on the hillside listening to the words of Jesus. And here's somebody sitting right next to him. Not only did they hear the words of Jesus, they heard the same message. Right? And so, so what did they do? They both, in this illustration, they both go build a house. Okay? You can look up the Greek. In the Greek, uh, it's the same word for house. Both houses, the one built on the rock and the one built on sand, both the same house. So it's not like one's a mansion and one's a shack. It's not one's made of straw. Like, no, it's both a, a normal Greek house. And in this scenario, they both seem to be somewhat near each other. Like, Jesus doesn't say someone built a house, but, but they moved a couple of kilometers that way to go to a nicer... Like, no, it seems to be like they were near each other. Right? The only difference in this illustration that Jesus gives is, is the foundation on which they built their, built their house. Right, that's the only thing. There, there's, there's nothing else. Like from, from the text and from everything you see, it seems to be the only difference is what they built their house on. One built it on a rock and one built it on sand. 
Okay, what does it mean then to build your house on the rock? Well, look at what Jesus says. Verse 24. You hear these words of mine and you act on them. That, that phrase, acting on them, is this, this idea of following orders. Like, like, you hear it and then you do it. You don't just hear it and then do something else. Like, it's not just, not just doing something. Like, no, it's doing what he has told you to do. Okay, so, so what does he say? He says, you want to be wise? What do we do? We listen to the words of Jesus and we, we, we obey them. We follow them. Okay, now, now here's, here's the struggle. And, and it's our fault, but at the same time, maybe it was something we were taught or caught or whatever. But, but I think here's part of the struggle. We, 2022 America Church, read the Bible for, for, for some answer to life, and, and we often don't find it. And, and here's why. The answer to life we're looking for is like, who do we marry? Or what college do I go to? Or what do I study? Or what job? Should I leave this job? Should I start my own? Like, like we go through life's decisions. And so what do we do? We want to make a good godly decision. We want to make sure we marry the right person. We want to make sure our kids are whatever, like normal kids or whatever we're trying to strive for there. And, and so what do we do? We read the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount does it say, you should marry this person. Right? It's got to think about don't divorce. It's got to think about don't commit adultery and don't be full of lust. Like it's got certain things that would apply to your marriage for sure. But yet, as 2022 American church, it's like, yeah, but, but it doesn't really speak to me. And what we mean by that is we want the, here's what you should do with your life. You should uh, quit your job and start this job. You should stop dating that person. You should start dating this person. Like, like that's what we're looking for when we read the text. And yet, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't do that. And so, so here's our struggle. Our struggle, then, is, is this idea to say, well, well, the Sermon on the Mount or the Word of God or Jesus' words don't really apply to me. Like, how do I add this to my life? And yet, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, here's like what everyday, uh, everyday life looks like as a kingdom citizen. Okay, so I'm going to make a statement that might sound really bad. We'll see. But I think Jesus is more concerned about how you live your life at work than he is at what job you actually have. Right? Like, like you say, hey, I prayed over it. God led me to this job. Praise God. I'm not saying he didn't do that. But sometimes I feel like we get into the job that, that we think God wants us to have, and then we stop acting like a kingdom citizen. And what I think would be more important is to act like a kingdom citizen in whatever job you have. Man, you think you married the right person or you think you married the wrong person. That's not the main concern right now. The main concern right now is that you would be a better, more godly husband, a better kingdom citizen in your marriage and to your children. So, so sometimes I feel like the American church, we have flipped everything upside down and we've made the really big one-time decisions the main thing. And so we look at the, look at the Sermon on the Mount and we're like, well, there's no advice for the main thing, the big decisions. And so we kind of just toss it all away. And yet Jesus is telling us, here's what it looks like to live your everyday life. Like, this is what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. And we want you to be the kingdom citizen in your marriage. You want to be a kingdom citizen where you work. You want to be a kingdom citizen in your neighborhood. Like, we want you to be living this out every single day, not just when the big decisions come. And so what do we do? Is, is I feel like, I just use the word feel, anyway, but I feel like in our worldview, it's like here's what Jesus says, and even as believers, we somehow can like twist and manipulate and be like, well, I feel like in this context, and, and somehow we write it off. Like this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's told us in the last three chapters, like this is what the life of, of Jesus looks like. He's not telling us to do something that he hasn't done. And yet somehow, some way, we're really good at manipulating and twisting it and making it not apply to us. Which then, let's keep it in the context. Which then takes me back to the previous context. Verse 22, 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name? Your name cast out demons, and your name performed many miracles. Verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. And so I feel like there's, there's some way that, that we, in verse 23, 22 and 23, can look very Christian-y. Right? We talked about this last week. We can look Christian-y. They say the right word. They use the right word for Lord. It's not like they made up a word or used the wrong word. Like they use the common word for Lord throughout all the New Testament. They do things that look Christian-y, and yet they never had a relationship with him. And sometimes I wonder in verse 24, if we think we're building our house on a rock, but really we're not. Like, we think we're doing it, but really in the back of our brains, we've twisted and manipulated Scripture to say what we wanted to say so that we can do what we wanted to do, and in all reality, we're building on sand. Right, here's a quote from Dallas Willard. Um, it's a little bit longer, but that's okay. We can handle it. The teachings of Jesus and the Gospels show us how to live the life we have been given through the time, place, family, neighbors, talents, and opportunities that are ours. His words left to us in Scripture provide all we need in the way of general teachings about how to conduct our particular affairs. If we only put them into practice, along the lines previously discussed, most of the problems that trouble human life would be eliminated. That is why, as we have noted, Jesus directs his teaching in Matthew 5-7 through toward things like murder and anger, contempt and lust in, family rejection and verbal bullying. This is real life. Though his teaching does not make a life, they intersect at every point with every life. Okay, so when you think about the Sermon on the Mount, this, this last phrase here, like, like the Sermon on the Mount, like Dallas Willard would say, it doesn't necessarily make a life. Like there's still decisions that we make. There's still, where are you going to go shopping? And what are you going to eat this morning? And how are you going to raise your kids? Like there's still things that make life, right? And yet in God's wisdom, he would preach a message 2,000 years ago that intersects with every area of our life today. Like there's, there's no area of our life today that, that the Bible, the Word of God, the words of Jesus does not intersect with. And yet again, in our worldview, we're so easily tempted to be like, yeah, this book's 2,000 years old. So maybe it doesn't fit me today. Or I feel like it's just so different from that time frame, the discipline, or the culture, or, or whatever we want to do. We want to, we want to wiggle our way out of it. And yet here would be this quote of Dallas Willard. It's like, no, no, no. The teachings of Jesus, and he's referring to the Sermon on the Mount, intersect at every point with every life. Because we all go through the same thing. And so there's this brilliance of Jesus. right? Like The omniscient one would preach a message that would touch the lives of every single person on the planet from when he preached it till eternity. So, so the question is then, what are we going to do with it? Like, what do we do with the Sermon on the Mount? He, Jesus draws a line in the sand for us. He says, there's two options. You hear it, and you can act on it, or you can hear it, and you can not act on it. You can hear it and follow it, or you can hear it and excuse it away. You can hear it and do it and obey and be a follower of Jesus, or you can hear it and just kind of do your own things. Right? And again, we talked about this last week. We want a third option. We want the third option that's like, I'm still a good Christian, though I didn't totally follow it. Like, that's what we're, so often that's what we're looking for. Like, somehow I'm better than the guy who built on the sand, but I'm not quite, I'm not quite in enough to be the guy who built on the rock. So maybe there's a guy who built on rocky, somewhat sandy soil that still stood firm. Yeah, that's not what Jesus says. Okay, so, so what's the result, though? What's the result of, of following Jesus and, and following his words and obeying him? Okay, well, he tells us, right? Verse 25, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house. And this is the house that was built on the rock, and it says it did not fall, for it had been founded 
on the rock. Verse 27, uh, the, the sand, that, the rain falls, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was it fall. Okay, so, so here's the question. And, and, and it could be both. So I'm not trying to pick a fight. But what is the storm referring to? Because you think, okay, back in their context, 2,000 years ago, uh, there's not a nuclear bomb that's going to be set off. Like, like, what would be one of the greatest forces of power? It would be a storm. It would be a hurricane. Like, we just, we've experienced that twice this year. Like, some sort of wind and rain and, and just this immense power, okay? So, so the picture is here's something more powerful than normal, like most powerful thing maybe they could think of, whatever that would be, but here's this powerful storm. Okay, what is it referring to? Often, we want to read this text and texts like it. I'm not saying we're wrong just saying maybe there's more. But we want to read these texts and say, what? It's cancer, it's sickness, it's surgery, uh, it's a broken relationship, it's loss of income. Like, we want to draw the line at something that's happening here. I'm not saying that's wrong. Right? That, that could, could, could barely be it. That, that in the hard times of life, we have a rock that is our foundation and we don't fall. But, just, just again, from the context, verse 23, there's this, this picture of what? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There seems to be a picture in verse 23 of, of some sort of final judgment and not just in the here and now. So, so the whole kingdom we've been saying is here and now, near and not yet. And, and I, I just wonder if, if the storm is referring both to the here and now of life and the foundation that we have with him, but also in the near and not yet. When, when we stand before a God who is full of wrath, and, and man, we've built a really good house. And, and we've built it, and it's huge, and it's got a bunch of fancy cars out front, and it's got mansions and, and glorious, and people envy us, and, and like it's the best house in the block, and whatever we want to argue. And yet the day comes when Jesus would, would judge, and you're built on sand, and great is its fall. And we spent a lot of time, and we spent a lot of money, and we spent a lot of sacrifices to make this house so beautiful and so great and so grand and so everything. And yet, in, in, in eternity, we have nothing to show for it. Why? Because in our mind, we thought or we felt or tradition told us that this way was better than Jesus' way. And so you, no wonder, right? No wonder Jesus would say here in verse 26, that, that, that everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, does not follow them, does not obey them, will be like a what? A foolish man. Like, like how foolish would it be to give your entire life to something that will ultimately just, just blow away in the storm? How foolish would it be to build up everything that looked good in this earthly kingdom and everything that looks great here and now and, like, and all of these things and yet you stand before the creator God of the universe and you have nothing to show them. It's all worthless. And how wise would you be to take the here and now that we have and to, to build up a house that is, that is glorious in God's sight and it's and built on his foundation and it's, it's for him and it's his glory and you stand before him someday and there's something to show him. There's works that I've done that will last for eternity. Like, like how much more wise would you be to live with that perspective? Anyway, verse 28. Jesus finished the words. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. We're going to talk about verse 29 and then end more with verse 28. Teaching them as one having authority and not as their, as the scribes. The scribes would interpret the text. Jesus interpreted the text, but he did it to a whole new level. 
you know, even we know that, right, Matthew 5, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Like, like he's saying, the scribes, the way you've interpreted, the way that you would apply this, these verses, it's not good enough. And so here's Jesus who's done it more so. Right? And, and, and to say, for a scribe to say what Jesus says in verse 24 through 27. For a scribe to say, hey, you listen to my words, you're going to build your house on a rock, like, that would, that would probably be borderline heresy. And yet here's Jesus who would stand up and speak with authority. But verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. That, that, that amazement. I find it interesting how Matthew would write this response because he doesn't really tell us how they responded. In that, he doesn't say they believed or not. He doesn't say that, that they left and, and 95% of the crowd decided that they're going to build their house on a rock and they're going to follow Jesus and they committed their life to him and 5% or they don't say 5% committed to Jesus and 95% didn't. Like, he doesn't tell us that. He says the crowd was amazed. And we should be, like, don't get me wrong, we should be amazed. We should leave the Sermon on the Mount in this series and be amazed at the words of Jesus. We should be blown away with his wisdom. We should be blown away with, with how wonderful he is and what it looks like to be part of his kingdom. Like, like, don't get me wrong, we should be amazed at this sermon. But amazement's not enough. Like, there's people in this crowd 2,000 years ago, sitting on a hillside, listening to Jesus talk, who would walk away amazed, and yet their life would not be changed. And so I find it interesting. That Matthew's going to say amazed, and he's just going to leave it there. And, and, I, and I wonder, I mean, it's on purpose, right? The Holy Spirit and uh, all these things, putting these words here. Uh, but, I, but I just wonder if there's some level of, like, you're amazed at the message, but yet, but yet are you going to take the next step? Like, we're just going to stay in it? We're just going to be amazed? Like, we can be amazed by a lot of things. Man, I, I've been watching a lot of sports the last couple days. Um, thankfully, it's that time of year where I can watch football with my foot on the couch. Uh, man, there's, there's plays that are amazing, and yet two seconds later, pfft, didn't change my life. Great catch. means nothing to me. I don't even cheer for your team. Right? And I feel like there's some level we do that with the words of Jesus. Man, that was, that was such a great sermon by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, great series, great whatever, great, song, great words to the songs we sang this morning. Man, that was so, and we might even use the word amazing, and yet two seconds later, we're like, nah, that's fine. Back to life as normal. And so here's, here's where I'm at as we would wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to name names. Uh, but there's, there's somebody, multiple people in our church, outside, maybe discussion group, um, outside of, I forget where. But there, there's, there's been a conversation, just normal life, normal conversation going. And the person responds that they're talking with. And one of them, I'm a part of the conversation. A couple of them, I'm not even part of the conversation. I'm just listening in. And different people have said, Something to this effect. Yeah, but that's kingdom living. Like, like I don't know what to do in this situation or work situation or whatever it is. And, and the response was something about, but this is what it looks like to be part of the kingdom. And man, that filled my heart with joy. Like, like if we could just, we leave the turn on the mount and, and I really, I'm not going to do it, but I'm really tempted in January just to start all over. I'm like, let's just, let's go round two. Uh, but man, if we would just, we would just have more of a kingdom living. I'm not a citizen of, I am mean, a citizen of America, I'm a citizen of Florida, yada, 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 but I'm a citizen of a far greater kingdom. So, so it's not what I do for work, it's, it's how I do this work. 
I might not enjoy my job, but I can be a kingdom citizen as I go to a job I might, might not enjoy. I might not enjoy my neighbor, but I can be a kingdom citizen of my neighbor. Right? I, might not, I might not love Florida and sweating in November when you're trying to put up Christmas lights. Right? But, I, but I can do it for the glory of God. I can be a kingdom citizen. And so that's, where, that's my heart. Like, like, is this going to change our lives? Yeah, at some level, yeah, hopefully. But really what I hope is it just, it just wakes us up to this fact that we're living for a different kingdom. Stop living for the earthly kingdom, okay? So back to the words that Jesus said. Verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Is that going to be us? Like, is that going to be you? Or are we going to just... Just tune it out, turn it away. One last quote, and we'll pray and be done. Uh, again, Daniel Aiken. Um, I've used his book, I guess, a lot, so we've, we've heard him quite a bit. But last, last quote here. The Gospels are right. No man ever spoke like this man. No man ever taught with the authority of this man. Indeed, no man ever liked like this man, died like this man, or arose from the dead like this man. Those who are wise hear his words and obey them. The fool hears them and rejects them. The wise will stand on a solid rock at the judgment. The fool will only experience a tragic and great fall. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Except, man, I love this message. Uh, I love this series. I'm so thankful that we got to go through it together. And um, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. In five chapters and 16 weeks of our church life, what a blessing it has been to, to be reminded and to be taught what it, what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. Father, you know us. You know our hearts better than we would um, even ourselves at times. God, we are so tempted by this world. We are so tempted by an earthly kingdom. And whether that's stuff, or whether that's money, or whether that's an appearance or looks, God, it's so easy to give our lives over to an earthly kingdom. God, it's so easy to, to, to build our lives on something that will not stand. And so, Father, I pray that you would convict us as a church, you would convict us as individuals, that in the areas of life that we are not living, we are not following after the words that you have laid out for us, that you would make that known. God, help us to hear, help us to be good listeners, help us to be good readers of your word, that we would understand, that we would hear. But God, help us to follow. Help us to obey. Help us to do what you've called us to do. God, may you grow us as kingdom citizens, that we would look more and more like Jesus. We thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount. God, as, as the people there would have would have felt some sort of amazement over the words that Jesus said. God, I pray that we would feel amazed at the words of Jesus, but we would not just stop there. Help us to follow through. Help us to obey the, the king of this kingdom. We love you. Again, we thank you for this series. Uh, we pray that you would bless our discussion group here to follow. In your son's name we pray. Amen.